0: Well, thank you guys for bearing with us with our little tiny screen. Uh, some of you might know that our big screen here, the projector uh, screen, the motor is broken in it. So uh, just thanks for your patience as we're working with Sullivan to try and get that back going again. Um, we're in a new series this Sunday. So we're in a new series looking at the Gospel of Luke. So if you've got a Bible there, please open it to the Gospel of Luke. It's the third book in your New Testament. Um, I'm excited for this new, new series. If, if you're here And you haven't committed to making this your home church or joining with us regularly. This is a great time to do that, to make Park RP your home church and and, and take just a new step, another step in leaning in to joining with us every week. There are some questions in life that are really worth giving the time and the energy to, to pondering and coming to a decision on, and one of those questions who was Jesus or who is Jesus is one of those questions that is worthy of your time. So I hope that, that we, are a community, uh, we are a community here in Rogers Park that are welcoming to you whatever stage of the, your journey that you're on. So a good first question to ask at the outset of a new series is what is the, the purpose of this book of the Bible? What, what is the intent for which it was written? Well, for a start, the book of Luke is one of three synoptic Gospels in the New Testament where Luke, the author, he creates a summary or or a synopsis, which is a a summary of the life and the works of Jesus. And we learn about Luke's intent behind compiling this summary of Jesus' life in the very first sentence of Luke. And it's quite a long sentence, but it is an important sentence. And the reason for the importance of the first sentence of Luke is that when authors were writing a piece of literature back in the time of Jesus, they would have been writing on, on scrolls. So there, the, there was no place on the back of the scroll for, for a blurb. There, there wasn't a simple way that somebody could just flick through a piece of literature written on a scroll. And so to get a taster of what a scroll was going to be about for the reader, they would have to unscroll it just a little bit to see the first since this is what someone would have read if they unscrolled far enough just to see the very first sentence of Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 reads like this, the first sentence of Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word had delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. That's it. Sentence one. Rescroll <laughs> or continue to unscroll. The intent of that single sentence is to, is to hook us to, keep us, to keep us reading. What do you think? A little wordy. <laughs> if we were to read that sentence in the original language in Greek, that the final word of the first sentence is certainty. Luke wanted a man called Theophilus to have certainty. And because we know Theophilus to very likely have been a man of very high status, Luke would have known that writing this narrative for Theophilus would have guaranteed to him a much wider audience. Hence, Luke wants everyone who hears, everybody who reads the gospel of Luke to gain certainty. And so we ask certainty of, certainty of what? What does he want us, the readers, in this book of the Bible to have certainty of? Well, a simple answer, as we see in verse 4, would be to say he wants us to be certain of the teaching that affirmed a truthful interpretation of who Jesus was and what Jesus has accomplished but it's interesting, Luke isn't only offering an assurance of what has occurred in the past. Luke intentionally in that opening, ver- opening sentence makes reference not to just, just to what Jesus has done or what Jesus did, but what Jesus continues to do in the present today. Because even though Luke never met Jesus and Luke actually lived a generation after Jesus, Luke still speaks of what God continues to do in verse 1 among us in the ongoing present. Luke connects certainty of what has been taught with the certainty of knowing what God is doing. Luke is, 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 is looking around and he knows people are experiencing the hand of God on their lives. He knows that the power of the gospel is raising people to newness of life. He sees that Jesus is transforming people's lives and that people are encountering Jesus today, he sees that the church's very existence is not due to a successful church plant, but due to a miraculous work of the Spirit of God on the move, active in our world, in our city today. For, the, for Luke, the power of God is not primarily a concept of the past to be kind of studied and, and, and taught and talked about, but a reality at work here, now, today, to be, to be experienced and even though Luke sees that, that we, whether we are aware of it or not, find our lives caught up in the drama of God at work in the world, he also knows that we can begin to wonder. Is God, God, really what, what's happening here? When many of you have chosen to, to commit and to sacrifice and to persevere, for the sake of seeing this church here in Rogers Park established and sustained as we enter into another season of ministry this fall, is, is God, God really what's happening here? Is the community of the church really any different from the community at CrossFit or the, the community at work? When, when we lose track or we lose sight or we can no longer make sense of the life that God has given us or what God is doing in our lives, and we feel to have lost our grip on a Jesus we at least thought we understood, we can wonder, is Jesus really here today? Did the only person who really needs to be here today show up? Is He really with us? Is He really real? Amidst all of the human and the churchy clutter, can you still see Him? with certainty. Rogers Park, do not assume that you have a reason that precludes you from having certainty in your faith, certainty in your belief that Jesus is who he says he is and that he has done all that he says he has done for you. To build out this orderly summary of the life and the works of Jesus, Luke relies on what he calls eyewitnesses, people who seen with their own eyes what Jesus did and what Jesus said. But he also calls these eyewitnesses ministers of the word, as in the sources he relies on weren't just people who met Jesus or seen Jesus in a purely physical sense. The eyewitnesses were those who saw Jesus with eyes that had been Open by the power of the Holy Spirit to understanding who Jesus truly was, and those that couldn't help share and tell others who they realized and had discovered that Jesus truly was. And in that sense, we too, by the power of the Holy Spirit, here in Sullivan High School, can also be eyewitnesses of Jesus. And that's our prayer. That's my prayer today. That as we study through the Luke's Gospel, that we as a church will increasingly see and believe. And know with certainty that Jesus is everything he's had himself to be. And when we lose track or we lose sight and we can no longer make sense of the life God has given us and we feel to have lost our grip on him, may God's word in this coming season open our eyes afresh to see Jesus who in actuality is bigger and more true and more glorious and more worthy of our lives than we ever thought before. Let's pray. Let's begin this series in the God, we come here and we are dependent on you. We are dependent on your spirit to move in our lives, to work in this room. God, we know that you're faithful. You're a God who builds your church. You're a people, or you're a God who loves your bride. So God, I pray today, God, that by the power of your word that you would minister to us. God, would you speak into our lives truth and encouragement and rebuke and reminders of who you are for the sake of our own souls, for the restoring of our souls? Would you do that today, I pray? In your name, amen. It would make sense after looking at the first sentence of Luke in our introduction today that we would now go on and look at the second verse of Luke and yet that's not what we're going to do. The Gospel of Luke has the richest. It has the most detailed account of the birth of Jesus. And so what we're going to do is we're going to hold off and we're going to wait and we're going to come back to the opening chapter of Luke in December during Advent on the run-up to Christmas. So I'm sorry for those that thought we were going to start playing Christmas music and put a Christmas tree on the stage and get into the nativity scene. Unfortunately, we're going to hold off on that, but it will not be long. So let's read the passage that we are going to open our series with today, and it's a passage that is going to prepare our hearts really well for the weeks ahead. Let's, let's read Luke chapter 2, verse 41 to 52, and it reads like this, Luke chapter 2, 41 to 52. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And When the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? In the verses that we just read, we find the the only recording in Scripture, the only recorded story in Scripture of Jesus, not as a baby and not as a man, but as a boy, precisely a 12-year-old boy. And his precise age is significant because in the Jewish culture that Jesus grew up in to be 12 would have been to be around the age that Jewish boys legally entered into manhood what we consider to occur around the, around the age of 18 years old, they would have considered to occur around 13 years old. And so there's this sense here, just by being aware of the significance of Jesus' age, we know that Jesus here is in a season of becoming, a season of growing and learning and particularly coming into his own individual distinct identity. Basically, today's story is Jesus the teenager. And his relationship with his parents in this story is very comparable to what we still today would expect to find as the kind of relationship between parents and teenagers. In today's passage, there is misunderstanding. There is confusion. There is hurt. There is an air of independence. There there is this sense that Jesus is starting to do his own thing, his own way, and become his own person. And this is hard for, for Mary and Joseph. How many of you, us can look back and feel a little bit sorry for our parents when we remember the teenagers that we were? Maybe some of us are sorry for the teenager that we still are, even if we're not teenagers. <laughs> verse 41 tells us that Mary and Joseph, as parents were doing their best. In fact, in verse 41, Luke makes it clear that Mary and Joseph have been doing everything right. It says, Now nah his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover. What Mary and Joseph did was what every God-fearing, pious, religious Jewish family would have done. Once a year, they went to Jerusalem to commemorate and to celebrate the freeing of Jewish people from slavery in Egypt. In the opening chapters of Luke, which we'll get to, we are left without doubt that Mary and Joseph, are good parents. They love the Lord and they love Jesus. And let's remember, Joseph has raised Jesus as his own son, even though he did not conceive, Jesus was not conceived by him. Mary and Joseph, they have taken seriously the task of rearing faithfully this child that God has gifted them with. Then in verse 43, we read that this particular year, the Passover ends. It ends a little bit differently than other years. And it says, unknown to Mary and Joseph, Jesus decided to stay behind. The Passover ends, Mary and Joseph spend an entire day traveling in the direction of home towards Nazareth, realizing, without realizing, 12-year-old Jesus is not with them. And so they realize, they, they, they begin searching frantically among their relatives, searching amongst their friends who they likely presumed he was with in the first place, but when they still can't find him, they head back to the city, they head back to Jerusalem. And it's easy to kind of chuckle when you kind of already know this, 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 this story, but if you pause for a minute, can you imagine? Maybe, maybe some parents in the room you don't need to imagine. Probably some of us here in the room today know that that horrible thinking feeling of having been out somewhere and you're looking around and you realize that child that was with you is not with you. Seconds feel like, like, like minutes, your imagination starts to run wild. It's just really hard to focus even just to stay calm. And maybe is actually thinking back to the night that the angel came and said to her, the child that will be born to you will be called holy, the son of God. I've lost him. I've lost the son of God. So they take the long, emotionally grueling journey back to Jerusalem. And then it says, finally, after three days, they spot him. And when they do, three days, and when they do, they discover he wasn't lost, he wasn't kidnapped, he wasn't stuck. Verse 46 says he was just sitting there. It says, after three days, they find him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and answering questions. Now, to be fair, he's not partying, he's not jumping fences, trying to get into Lollapalooza, but still... Look how Mary and Joseph respond in verse 48, and when his parents saw him, it says they were astonished. And if you've heard this story before, you might have heard emphasized at this point, oh, look at Jesus. He had this amazing ability to sit in the temple and converse with the teachers and answer their questions, and, and, and that, that's, that, that's true. It's, it is incredible, but I don't think that's where we're meant to go yet, because I don't think that's what astonished Mary and Joseph. Because look at the second part of verse 48. They were astonished, and his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Then she, she says in verse 48 Behold, as in, listen up, kid. It's a new one for you mothers. Behold, <gasps> your father and I have been searching everywhere for you. Do you realize what we have been going through? Do you know the thoughts that have been going through my mind? When Mary describes how they've been feeling, she says they have been experiencing great distress. And you know what that term means? It means literally they were in pain. They were in pain. But surely Jesus now is going to apologize <laughs> Sorry for the misunderstanding, isn't he? He's, he's, he's going to drop his head and say, ah, yeah, yeah, I should have thought this through a little bit better, Mom. <laughs> See, seeing the tears, the strain, the stress in Mary's eyes, I, sh- I, sh- I, sh- I should have let you know. But he, he, he doesn't. What he does go on to say are the very first recorded words of Jesus in the entire Gospel of Luke, the earliest words of Jesus that we know of. He says, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my Father's house? We don't really know what to do or to make of this question. There, there are some interesting pieces that, 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 that help us learn a thing or two. One piece to take note of is Jesus says, didn't you know I must? By necessity, I had to be in my Father's house. But before getting into too many details, even as, a, as gentle as Jesus has been in these questions in response, is this really how we'd expect Jesus to respond to His parents? Is this how we'd expect Jesus to to treat his parents? They, They went to the Passover every year. Jesus has never done this before. How were they to know it was the year? Was it really fair to expect Mary and Joseph to have known where he'd be if he didn't tell them? Should they really not have panicked and just said, oh, Jesus must be at the temple, as if staying behind without telling them was no big deal? And verse 50 tells us clearly Mary and Joseph didn't understand the point Jesus was trying to make, which also infers they didn't understand why he had to do this this way. Have you ever maybe looked after a niece or a nephew or, or maybe taught in, in, in a school, or maybe you're, you're a parent yourself and you have your own children, and sometimes you literally can't believe how disobedient a child can be? <laughs> like you're flabbergasted. <laughs> that you're the adult in moments and they are the child. And you're, you're telling them, come, come here, stop that, sit down, and they just blatantly are ignoring you. And there is this sometimes, does not compute feeling in your brain as if the rules of reality aren't working and there's kind of like a glitch in the system. You're the adult, they're the child, this should not be this way. You listen to me. Hey kid, I'm the one that asks the questions. I'm the one that assumes authority in this situation. <laughs> But you have this uncomfortable feeling in that moment that the child has become the one that's in charge. So you quickly turn on the TV to make it feel okay. I want, I want you, I want you to, to come over here, I want, I want you to, to walk beside me, I want you to, to follow me. We're, we're, we're going this way, can you give me your hand? This, this is what's happening, this is how things are going to play out, okay? This is how you should behave, only to look down and realize you're talking to Jesus. This passage today not only includes the first recorded words of Jesus, but also includes the very beginning of Jesus giving expression. To his divine nature, that Jesus was, was, yes, a 12-year-old boy who was fully human, but also that he was a 12-year-old boy who was fully God. and In this passage, Jesus is revealing his own divinity. He begins to assume a position of authority that transcends, that stands above all other forms of human authority. And naturally, the two people in Jesus' life who first had to grapple with and wrestle with and probably struggle with the authority of Jesus as Lord were his parents. In fact, that's what this passage is about, grappling with Jesus' authority over us and laying down our assumed authority over him. When Jesus doesn't follow our lead when Jesus doesn't conform to our expectations, when Jesus doesn't stick to the religious script, when Jesus surprises us, when Jesus confuses us, when Jesus distresses us. In verse 41 at the beginning, Mary and Joseph, as Jesus' parents, are the subject of the narrative. Even even in Luke chapter one, which we'll get to at, at, at Christmas, Mary and Joseph were the subject of the narrative. It is they who led the way to Jerusalem. It is they that brought Jesus with them. It is they that held Jesus's hand. But by verse 50, after Jesus is found, Jesus himself has taken their position as the focal point of the narrative. He assumes a new authority over his own life and over theirs and over ours. But I also want you to see that in this passage, yes, we see Jesus assuming his position of authority, but also just as key, Jesus assumes in our passage as a position of submission. In verse 48, when Mary has found Jesus, she says, hey kid, your father and I have been searching everywhere for you. Mary here is referring to Joseph, who, as Jesus' father, would have been listened to and learned from and submitted to as Jesus was a child. But look at Jesus' first words in Luke's gospel in verse 49. He says, did you not know I must be in my father's house? But Jesus is not talking about Joseph anymore, sitting in the temple, this place that was the dwelling place of God, this place where communion and reconciliation with God was sought, this place where where petitions and prayers were offered and where Jewish teachers and scholars gathered to study the Old Testament and ask questions and learn together as to who God is. It is there Jesus sits and says, this is my father's house. This is home. This is where I had to be. By using the term my father to referring to God, Jesus is speaking of an intimacy and a personal relationship with God in a way that has never been done before. In the Old Testament, God is referred to generally as a as a father, but no one prior to this has referred to God so personally as to say, My father. And this is where I think we find resolution to Mary's question in verse 48. Jesus, why did you? Treat us so. Why, why did you disappear and not, not tell us? Why did you allow us to go through all of that? Because there was a moment behind the scenes to these verses where Jesus had to make a choice. Maybe his parents were, were 20 feet ahead of him when he had to make this choice. Maybe they, they, they were standing right beside him when he had to make this choice when Jesus knew in a moment the hard thing, the confusing thing, The thing that would be misunderstood, the necessary thing was to go and to slip away and be where His heavenly Father was telling Him to be, requiring an obedience that was immediate and uncompromising. And maybe for some of us today, you're listening to this this story and it still just feels like one more example of Jesus not making sense, one one more example of Jesus existing beyond your, your comprehension. Who, who, leaves, who leaves their parents in pain? Who, who leaves anybody in pain? Who left you in pain? If Jesus is Lord, if he has all authority in heaven and earth, surely there were, were more options. Surely in my life, in your life, in our lives, he could do it all differently. Less pain, more clarity, thank you. Surely he could teach us or make his point or, or make himself known in our lives another way. Why this way? Why allow us to to walk on without Him? Why, why, Why allow us to lose sight of Him? Why does truth feel so beyond our grasp at times? Why allow us to misunderstand Him? Why does He keep us looking for Him? In verse 50, this whole episode comes to a close. We won't meet Jesus again for another 18 years. Mary and Joseph didn't understand what what had occurred. Jesus goes back to Nazareth Nazareth with them where this all becomes a kind of distant memory and Jesus continues, as verse 51 says, to grow up, once again submitting to his parents. Normal life resumes. But look what Mary does. She treasures up all of these things in her heart. And you you know what I like about this verse? When, When Mary refers to these things... She refers to these things in the plural. We, we realize that this wasn't just a one-time thing. This wasn't the first time that she'd felt Jesus' actions to be beyond her comprehension. There wasn't, this wasn't the first time his behavior had confused her. This maybe isn't the first time he distressed her. There were other situations, other stories, and when these things happened, what does she choose to do? she considered these moments of misunderstanding as treasure. There is a a level of knowing somebody that I think is incomparable to how a mother has the ability to know her child. There's a level of knowing somebody that I think is incomparable to how a mother has the ability to know her child. To such a degree that despite all of the, the mystery and all of the unknown and maybe all of the confusion and the misunderstandings, she still is left without any doubt that her child remains to her as one that she knows. Despite the misunderstandings and the confusion, Mary still had a depth of understanding, a depth of knowing in her commitment to Jesus that despite what she did not know, she could still say, "Jesus, I all that you do, all that you say." All that you are will always be treasure to me. RP, Mary proves not understanding Jesus does not mean that you have lost your grip on him. And it doesn't mean that he's lost his grip on you. RP, it is that depth of knowing that Mary exhibits a knowledge that leaves room for Jesus to be even more than we can currently grasp that I am praying that we discover in the months ahead. That there is always, always more. There's always, always to be more. That as we study Luke over these coming weeks and months, we will, that we will grow in our love for Jesus, knowing there is still more that we have not lear- learned yet to love. That we will grow in our commitment to Jesus, even as we still forever will be unraveling Jesus' commitment to us that if there are ways we have placed our authority over Jesus telling him what he needs to be or telling him what he needs to do, may we see with eyes afresh that his authority is good and beautiful and right for our souls and that his ways are all attuned and they're all aligned with the will of our heavenly father who loves his children. Church, today's passage is just the first of numerous times in Luke that Jesus chooses an uncomfortable and uncompromising commitment to the will of his heavenly father. The obedience that took Jesus to the temple when he was 12 was the same obedience that took Jesus to the cross when he said to his heavenly father in Luke chapter 22, we'll get there one day, not my will, but yours be done. All through Luke, we are going to meet a Jesus who confounds and confronts and confuses. And as he does, he is kind and he is caring and he is committed in his seeking to heal and to save and to forgive the lost. And so, church, may God's Word open our eyes to see Him more true, more glorious, and more worthy of our lives, and more of a treasure than we've ever thought before. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the privilege that it is to study your Word. We thank you for the privilege it is to be able to experience you through your Word. We thank you, God, that you don't only work in the past, but you work today, God, God, I pray, God, that we will realize that you are here, that you are among us, that you are doing something here in this church. You are binding us together as one people. God, you're transforming people's lives. God, you're growing us in intimacy and understanding and knowledge of who you are. God, I pray that Jesus will be glorified above anybody else over this coming year, I pray. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.